before the show gets started, I want to take a minute to talk to you about our new affiliate sponsor, Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web is a leader in CBD hemp products, including oils, gummies, and topicals. These products can assist you with anything from faster fitness recovery to getting a better night's sleep. They even have products for dogs. Personally, I like the gummies best, and I'm telling you, the sleep gummies have helped me improve the quality of my sleep. I take two gummies 20 minutes before bed, and it helps me unwind from a long day to get a great night's rest. I also love supporting Charlotte's Web because they are committed to unlocking opportunities for women to succeed through the Women's Bean Project. You can learn more about that project or any of their products by going to their website, charlottesweb.com. As a loyal podcast listener, you can receive 15% off of items, up to 5 max and not including bulk purchases. All you have to do is just enter the word dynamic at checkout to receive 15% off of Charlotte's Web CBD hemp products. That's charlottesweb.com with the code dynamic at checkout to get your discount. Thank you so much to Charlotte's Web for being an affiliate sponsor of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Leadership Academy Network. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you so much for joining us today please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Plus, don't forget, you can now play this podcast on any Amazon-enabled device. Just ask Alexa, play the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Getting Dynamic Leaders with Colin Treniglia from Apple Podcasts. Before this episode begins, please consider taking a minute and leave a rating and review. Doing this really does help us grow the show and you can get featured for your review on a future episode. On to my featured conversation today and with that, our 100th episode of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. It's been an awesome ride since we started this podcast in August of 2018, and I can't tell you how thankful and grateful I am for the continued support, not only from my listeners, but from the guests who come on, tell their stories, share their expertise, and really have just given me the biggest education in all things related leadership, team culture, etc. And because this is episode 100, I wanted to make sure It was a little extra spicy and special for our listeners, and I was able to bring on Mary Wise, who is the head coach for the women's volleyball team at the University of Florida. Mary has the fifth most wins in Division I history, and she has the most wins among women coaches in Division I volleyball history. She's also the only female to coach in the national championship match. And Mary is about to enter her 30th season with the Gators here in 2020. There is a reason that Mary has sustained the longevity that she has. And there is a reason that she has found the success she has. And we talk about all of that in our conversation today. You are really going to enjoy this special 
100th episode edition of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. So let's not waste any more time and let's discover our talent altitude. Here is my talk with Mary Wise. to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest with me is Mary Wise. Mary, thank you so much for joining the show. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, and we have so much to get to today. But first, I want to give you an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? Well, I think most people know me as the volleyball coach at the University of Florida, and I think that happens when you're at one school for, um, lucky enough to be at one school for as long as I have been. Uh, we're about to start our 30th year, which is just crazy. One, that I've been doing it this long, but two, that I've, and I try not to ever take for granted how fortunate I am to be at the same school for this long. It just doesn't happen in college athletics. So coaching volleyball here at Florida has been wonderful for me from a professional standpoint, but also for my family. Uh, Raising two boys in a college town community such as Gainesville, my husband who works for ESPN and the Gator Radio Network doing collegiate basketball, it's been great for. And I just feel like I'm one of those really fortunate people that landed the right place and has been able to stay here for this long. So cool. And I kind of started this out as a joke, but I had Taylor Fuller on my podcast in the past. She went to the University of Florida as well, Gainesville, kind of grew up in that area. And I had to ask her if she was a Tom Petty fan, just knowing that Tom's from the area. So I'm going to ask you, are you a Tom Petty fan? Well, I will admit I probably wasn't a huge Tom Petty fan before we moved to, to Gainesville or, or early on when raising boys and just a little too busy for that. But it's hard not to be, especially <laughs> when you can't go to a football game without hearing Tom Petty at the start of the fourth, fourth quarter. Right, right. They kind of brainwash you, I feel like, down there. That's right. <laughs> In a good way, though. All right. Well, one of the aspects that I actually wanted to ask you about it, and you just mentioned it when you were giving us your introduction is not only the fact that you have been coaching division one volleyball for a long period of time, but you've been at one school for 29 years now. And that is an incredible feat. Just knowing what the landscape of college athletics looks like, whether you're at division one, two, three, whatever level, how have you been able to stay at one school for so long? Like what's your secret? Well, I, I, I mean, I, obviously, it was a good fit. It was a, the right fit for me professionally, and the right and the right fit for our family. But I think coaches stay when there are few push factors, meaning factors that would make somebody want to leave. And there is no question: I'm not staying here at a school like Florida without winning. And so by by maintaining the level of success, I haven't had to worry about being forced out. But there are Florida's one of those unique institutions that has the resources that there are few daily battles that have to be fought. And I think in coaching, 
at every level, I think there are a whole lot of battles that one has to fight. It has nothing to do with trying to win or lose. It's just trying to provide for your student athletes. To you know, maybe it's practice time, maybe it's team travel budget, maybe it's opportunities for competition. I mean, there's so many things that Florida, because of its resources, can offer that I don't have to spend my time working on those things and allows me to spend the time coaching the players, developing relationships, recruiting, and doing all the other things that fill the calendar and the day. But I don't have to worry about being worn down fighting battles that can't be won. And that, so to your question, how have we stayed? We've stayed because we've won and I haven't been forced to leave. And we've stayed because there haven't been the push factors that would make me want to leave. So you are fortunate then in a number of ways, but more specifically in the sense that you, it seems like from what you just said that you have undisputed support from your athletic department and from the people that you need to build relationships with in order to maintain a relationship that you have for as long as you have. Why do you think that, and I guess this probably doesn't just relate to the college athletics world, it can probably transfer over into the corporate world. But why do you think that it's so hard to get that support? Because I think that is like a key factor to, to success. And you see that a lot when there is a coaching change that, hey, we weren't buying into the vision. We weren't buying into whatever this coach was trying to do. And we think XYZ coach can do better. So how do you like build that trust and that bond to get the support that you need? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and I don't want to leave the impression that it's an open checkbook. It would be nice, but <laughs> I think you know, it's it's a matter of, I try real hard to work on, like I said earlier, fighting the winnable battles and understanding that no one is going to care more about this program than the people in the program, and my job is to help in to facilitate a the lines of communication with our administration and to help them understand what our challenges are. There's some inherent challenges. There are every, no, no place is perfect. Every, every program has its, its challenges, but which ones can be changed and which ones are, it, it is what it is. And I think so trying to create a buy-in with the administration, this is, this is the vision. This is what we're trying to do. I don't think, you know, administrators, I think they get tired of having to say no. So if I can be very intentional on my asks, and so what I've done is with administrators is try to give them, here are the long-term needs, here are the immediate needs, here is how I would prioritize them, would want your feedback on how, how you feel best we should prioritize them, and then can we work together in in creating taking these wants off the list and but if i think it is if i am badgering my administrator with wants i think eventually they get tired of saying no because there is there is no school that has a complete open checkbook and i understand as i say we're family and i'm and volleyball is not the only child there are other children in the Gator family, and that's all the other sports. And all the other sports have needs and wants and challenges. And for me to think that mine are more important than another programs, and it's just that's just not dealing with reality. And so I, I try to be really intentional 
what do we need to be successful? Most most important is what do we need to ensure a positive experience for the student athletes? That has to be number one. And winning obviously goes hand in hand with that. There are things that make it better, but is that truly how important is that? And so I think the relationship that we've built over time is built with solid communication, building trust between the administration and ourselves. And it doesn't mean we haven't had some rocky times, but I, I look at where we are today. And just a few weeks ago, the athletics director, Scott Strickland and I, he asked that instead of meeting in his office, we would go to lunch together. And this is what he's doing with all his head coaches. And so there is a sit down. It's not the formal meeting. I just sit down and I was able to, you know, explain some, the landscape of women's volleyball today and our program and where we are. And, and he's really, he pays such close attention. And so I'm not having to start at square one. I don't know what that would be like. I've never worked for an administrator, not Jeremy Foley, who was here from day one till he retired and now Scott Strickland, what that would be like to work for an administrator who just didn't put volleyball at a high enough a priority to pay attention. I think that would be a challenge because then you'd be starting at square one. Sure. So those are things that have worked well for us. And it doesn't mean I'm, I'm still not working at it, but I do try just like with the athletes, try to see it from their side. That's really great perspective. And I love the analogy that you made about how volleyball is just one of the kids. Right. And I think it's, easy to fall into the trap of we are the most important, nothing else matters. But when you look at it in a more holistic view like that, and you understand that there's other factors in play, it can lead you to make better asks when you do ask for something, whether it's something that you need or something that you want. And you talked about picking winnable battles. I'm curious how you determine what a winnable battle might be like is there a strategy that goes into picking one versus something else it's just a matter of being i'd like to think being realistic of understanding that or the understanding the lance the current landscape a few years ago during the 2016 season the arena in which we play was going under a 65 million dollar renovation and an upgrade for the sports that compete there. And that would not be the year to ask for a major project in our training facility. It's just understanding the landscape of the, now for that project later, when the O'Connell, when those monies have been paid and the O'Connell Center is done, that'd be different. So it's just sort of like having, kind of being realistic with where, where you are on the food chain and where you are in the current climate. But also, I say that at the same time, no one will advocate for your program unless you do as the head coach. And I also try really hard to understand the challenges for not just our coaching staff, but those that work with us. To that end, one of the things that we have done and have done this for decades now is we call what have, we have a family meeting and that is we bring in all of the support staff that work with our student athletes. That's the academic advisor, strength coach, nutritionist, trainer, sports information director and the like. And we meet twice a year and during that time 
I ask, what are your challenges in your world? What were your, what do you th see as your greatest accomplishments from the past semester and what are your challenges going forward so that I have a better understanding of what their world is like and is there anywhere, is there any place where I could help alleviate or lessen or advocate for them in their challenges. I think we can get a little isolated, but you, know, you got people that are working their tails off and I don't know what a day looks like for our academic advisor, but if I can be cognizant of helping her, you know, whether maybe it's something that she said, you know, if you guys could give me more advance notice when you need my help in recruiting, but something like that, because I meet with, during this time of the year, I'm meeting with freshmen or something where I may not know, I think that's very helpful. So family meetings have been a mainstay of our program. It allows me to understand their world. And then it's just a matter of kind of taking a step back. What do we need to win? What is important? And what are what are the wants and what are the must-haves? And that's a constant decision-making process on a daily basis. Yeah, very interesting. And again, I, I love that perspective. Another thing that you had mentioned, though, was how to build a positive experience for student athletes. And I think you just started to talk a, lot, a little bit about maybe what unlocks that by asking questions and asking about what's going on in, in their lives. But can you unpack that a little bit more for us? Like, how do we create a positive environment for our student athletes to be involved in? Yeah, that's a great question and probably is something that we should ask ourselves every day because sure. truly that's what's most important. I will tell you that I'm a huge Brene Brown fan and she, what she has written, her TED Talks and all, and her piece on empathy really resonated with me. And it's a, it is a value of which I, I have identified as something I want, I want to work on, I think. Empathy is such a, a huge tool to creating a positive experience, is to understand the emotions of the individual student athletes and what they're going through. And that if I am empathetic to their struggles, I will be better in my communication and building a relationship with them. I think Empathy is the key to building trust, and trust, that is the groundwork to which a program can be successful. There has to be trust. Trust between coaches, between player teammates, between coaches and players, and that's how we build a positive experience, is starting with trust. The ability to lead with Empathy is uh, the whole process of that. And I'm familiar with Brene Brown's work as well. And it's really fascinating to me because much like with any type of relationship, right, there still needs to be that structure built in place. Like at the end of the day, you are the head coach. And at the end of the day, these are your student athletes. And there's a certain distinction to build there. And sometimes I think when people think of leading with empathy and leading with trust and being able to open up. They think of somebody who might be a little wishy-washy and be a pushover. And, and some of that's getting changed now that we're 
changing as a society and we're realizing that those aren't the actual traits that come from that. But there still needs to be the ability as the head coach to say like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but this is also what we need to do or this is what we need to try because you have experience behind you in areas where they might. So being able to listen to them, but being able to help them, I think is where, to your point with that trust that you're building can really take off. Is there a way that if if somebody wants to lead with more empathy, like if they have been leading like a general patent, for example, for (laughs) years and years, and they want to build empathy into their toolbox, how do we go about that without becoming somebody that is a pushover and that can't get that ability to connect with their players and get them to be able to do the things that they need to do to be successful without being a dictator, if that makes sense? Yeah, I, I, I believe to answer that, the way you build empathy is to get to know the person. As a coach, do you know them just as a player or do you know them as a person? And the person is always more important than the player. And that is the philosophy of which I have carried with me all my life. That that I, I would never want someone to think that their self-worth is, you know, as Brene Brown says, self-worth cannot be tied into productivity. Right. And that... That if we only see them as a player, then it's the player who she is, is, you know, how many, does she start? Does she not? Does she, you know, that, that can't be how I see her. I must see her as a person first and for her to understand that that is more important. And that's how you build empathy is get to know the person, build trust, but it has nothing to do with weakening my leadership skills. The leadership, the values of the program, we have that has been set in stone, and, and that's one of the, the advantages of being in school for so long, is that our philosophy is what we call the Gator Way, that is tried and true and understood, and the players that buy into it, the sooner they buy into it, and they do, they you know, because with the cultures in place and the seniors help lead that, it's a system that they can understand. I'm not trying to make up, we're always trying to grow, but they can, they know that we have a platform and values that won't waver. And it allows them to feel secure in this is a program that values the person over the player and that I think vulnerability shows strength and that that's the greatest thing I can do as a leader is to show that to the players because if they were willing to be vulnerable, meaning, you know, vulnerable, it could be with their game. Are they willing to take risks with their own game to get better? Sure. And do they trust us? And do they trust themselves? And that's the only way they're going to get better. And it's how they build relationships. And it will, you know, those skills will be ones that will help them later in life. And that's kind of an important piece to what we're doing here. Hey everyone, Christine here from Sweat with Stods, one of this show's sponsors. The Dynamic Leaders Podcast is here to help you be a better leader, and the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically. I'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone. As a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes, I've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym. These are intelligently structured programs, giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, 
get quick results with Hit at Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com. That's sweat with S-T-O-D-D-S.com to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today. Mary, you were a college volleyball player at Purdue, and you've now been coaching at Florida for three decades. Was volleyball always the sport? Like, did you know that this is what you wanted to play in college? This is what you wanted to do for a profession? You mean all those many, many decades ago? (laughs) Um, It was, I was fortunate that growing up in athletics where very few people were just specialize in one sport you played everything and so it was what you did I just couldn't imagine it's another season of course you you went to a different sport and so I was I had earlier opportunities in both softball and basketball and that um, was before you know the club volleyball scene private lessons and everything that that we see recruits going with now and so volleyball I came to volleyball a little bit later than the other two sports but it was just a sport that I really enjoyed and honestly if I had scholarship opportunity legit scholarship opportunities to play one of the other two sports other than volleyball I probably would have chosen it it was more like that volleyball opportunity presented itself and that's the sport I played in college you won a couple of national championships at Purdue correct um, we did not win national championships. We won a, uh, a couple of Big Ten championships. Got it. Okay. So Big Ten championships, and then obviously you've been very successful as a head coach and won a number of SEC championships and got into the Final Four, got into the championship game. When it comes to, and I want to preface this with winning obviously isn't the only thing, but I think as you've alluded to, it certainly helps no matter what we're talking about. When it comes to being able to win and being able to win at that level and take home some hardware, what are some of the common attributes from your playing time and from your time coaching that you've seen overlap to say like, hey, our team had this and our players had that and that's why we were able to get as far as we were? I think the universal ones, obviously, you have to have talent. I mean, there's just, there's no substitute for talent, but there are a lot of teams that we've had here highly talented teams that may not have that did not may not they did not win national championships and and for those reasons it could have been just you know bad luck that a key player got hurt at the wrong time i think in, in college athletics we are defined by the results in volleyball it's a it's a three-week tournament of which 64 teams are chosen and an entire year is often de- is defined by how we do over those three weeks. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It just it is what it is. And so I think the longer I'm in it, the having perspective to for me and our players to know is no, we're not going to define ourselves based on. Does that mean that only one team, the team that won the national championship, they're the only team that had a great year? They're the only team that grew. They're the only team that overcame obstacles and grew as people and players no they did and and we celebrate their championship and and applaud their 
their accomplishments, but I'm not going to define our program and our players as people based on the results over three weeks. doesn't mean we're not going to work our tail off and try and get there, and it's the goal that we're working towards. But perspective is important. Beyond having talented players, I think the ability of, of as a coaching staff to be able to define roles and players to accept them and understand that every player has value. I think that is really important because you can have a great group on the court, but if your bench is dysfunctional and imploding, that that'll seep over to the court and you can't ignore that. And I think so much of that has to do with players understanding their roles and playing time. No one wants to be on the bench. And if they do, kind of an unusual situation. Accepting their t- their role on the bench, that's very different. But as coaches spending the time and energy to help players understand their role, how they impact their t- the team, what their immediate value is, their long-term value, and spending time with that, then to being successful, talent, understanding and accepting of roles, then you got to have a little luck on your side. Twice we've been in the national championship match and had a significant player injured. It's not ideal, but we'll keep working to get back there and hope those stars will line up in time. Yes, absolutely. And I love how you brought up the fact that each of your players, regardless of what they may think their value is to the team, they need to understand what their role is on a team. So I'd like to ask two questions on this because I I think it's something that's really fascinating. First is how you as a coach go about determining each player's role. And then the second question is how do you get buy-in for those players that think they need to be on the court but might not realize it yet but are better off serving on the bench and coming into key situations or something like that. A role that I've personally been on in the past when I was playing baseball and it was difficult in the, in the time and I didn't realize it, but now being able to reflect 12 years later on it, I realize what my value is. So I'd love for you to be able, if you can answer those two key pieces and I'll repeat them because I know that was a long winded way to get to it, but how do you as a coach define each player's role on the team first? And then how do you get buy-in for when there's pushback? Sure. I think the defining of their roles I think as much objective feedback as you can provide for student athletes is helpful. I mean, that's the numbers. That's the, by having the statistics that are very black and white is very helpful. Now, having said that, doesn't mean the players, even when it's crystal clear in a coach's eyes that it's black and white, mean they're going to believe it. <laughs> and that's part of, you know, why great players are great there is that they just don't, they always see the best in themselves. And so helping them understand, you know, they may be, her numbers may be terrific hitting-wise. I mean, she's, she's killing the ball, but her ball control, her passing skills are not there. And for her understanding what our team needs, that goes to the second piece, and that is communication with the players. Because what you do as a coach is you're, it's always creating the buy-in. The helping the players understand their value, their role on the team, 
how they can help, how they help the team be successful and understand it evolves just who she is. Her role in August may look very different in October and that's just communicating with them. There was a, um, analogy we, we've used in the past is there was this old carnival trick and this is going to be way before probably you were born Colin but there was this like TV show where they would have these like carnival tricks and one of them was the guy who could or female the person who could balance these plates and rotate them like spin these plates on these poles and get like this whole I don't know how many was it a dozen plates spinning but we called it like spinning plates, meaning he'd start with this on the first to get this plate spinning and then go to the next one and down the road. And then eventually all the plates were spinning, but the first one started to wobble. So he had to run back there and spin that plate. And we call it, it's an analogy we use it with our staff, is spinning the plates, meaning if a player is ignored and you're not spinning, she's going to wobble right off that stick and fall and crash. And that there, are, it's easy that player the, who's getting a lot of playing time, playing well, she's in a good place. She may not need me to like a player who who is in a isn't playing as well and maybe lost some playing time. That and so as the coaching staff, we may be saying, "He's been her plate today." I mean, it's just a, it's a check in to give her that. Hey, I know this isn't. You're not, you know, our numbers may not be good right now and that you're struggling in this area, but keep working at it. And here's the path. I think it's so important as, as a coach that you're always providing the path to success. Give them the template of how they can get better. I don't think athletes always understand that. So spinning the plates is helping with the buy-in and understand time invested. In, in building trust with the athlete, that is time that is so well spent. And time not doing that, I'll come back to bite you. At <laughs> least that's been my experience. <laughs> Excellent. I love that example. And I, I really just think some of the highlights there that you mentioned about roles and understanding what your role is, is that roles can change. That's the first point. Mm-hmm. You can be a starter one day and not the next, and you can be coming off the bench one day and starting the next, or you can be on the bench your full season or starter your whole season, but your roles can still change within the context of a game situation, a match situation. There's just so many different factors, but I also love how you highlight it, that communicating and providing that path for success is the most important thing I think you can do, whether or not you're a starter or you're the star of a team or whatever it is, like even if you've already reached that, like JJ Reddick talks about this all the time where he went to go speak to, I think a bunch of high school basketball players. And he saw one of the players had a tattoo that said arrived on it. And his big thing now is that you've never arrived. Like you always need to be working. So even if you're a starter, being able to communicate with the coach and understand how you can get better and how you can be a better role player in that context for your team is really important. So thank you so much for breaking that down. Now, you have the fifth most wins in Division One history, but the most among women, and you are the only female to coach in the national championship I liken this to, I went to Penn State and James Franklin is the football coach there. He's 
one of, I think, 11 African-American head coaches in college football. And there's never been a black head coach to win a national championship. And he's talked about how important that is to him to achieve that goal one day that he set for himself. And it's not just a personal thing, but for his race and for the people that he's grown up with, it's it's a really important aspect to him. And I'm curious from your perspective and some of the ways that you've been able to trailblaze and be a pioneer for women in this sport, how is it, how important is it for you to eventually get to succeed and win a national championship? Is that a goal for you? Well, I, the goal is to win a national championship for our program and our players and our alums. The byproduct is that when that happens, no one will ever ask again, when will a woman win a national championship? Now sure. they may ask, when will a woman win her second national championship? <laughs> Whether it's me or someone else, I'm realistic to understand that until women are coaching in the schools that provide the resources and have the recruiting advantages to bring in the talent to win a national championship, it's not going to happen. If you look around the country, our game is evolving much like, I mean, there's so many good players, so many talented players playing women's volleyball now than when I was playing where it was a, your best players were in one small geographical area and that's it. Now, you look at the best players around the country, they come from all over. There's so many more talented players, just like men's basketball. You know, there was a point in time where the men's basketball national championships were just truly a handful of teams. Uh, at one point, it was just one team in UCLA many years ago. Right. But we're really just, there were fewer programs that could win a national championship because there wasn't enough talent to go around. Now look at men's basketball. There are so many great players around the country. That's why that's why their tournament is so exciting because on a given night, anybody can beat anyone else. Well, I think that's where women's volleyball is moving. We have so many great players, and that and teams only, you know schools only have twelve scholarships, so they're spread out now more so than they have been even 10, 10 years ago. And so I think we got more opportunities to build programs and the more schools that have the resources that can recruit that talent that are coached by women, just the odds are going to have it. A woman is going to win a national championship. But in the past, there weren't that many schools that had the resources to win, to recruit that kind of talent and win that national championship. And most of the schools, they were coached by men. So again, just by the odds, it's not going to, you know, less likely to happen. I'd like to think those times are changing. One, as I said, because of the number of great players around the country. And two, there are more programs that are provided the resources are coached by women. It's going to happen. Do I wish it had ha- Shoot, I wish it had happened in 2003 when we got there the first time. But it will happen. And then no one will ever have to ask again. Yes, it will happen. And for my sake, I, I hope it is you because I know that you've obviously gotten there a couple of times and you've put the work in and, and I love to see not just hard work rewarded, but the loyalty that you've shown to the university and to building the program to what it is today. It, I think personally, that would be really cool. So I'm definitely rooting for you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Colin. <laughs> no problem. Now, When I was doing my research, I read something about you that you are known as someone who is 
who has a tremendous vision. And that was in quotes, tremendous vision. Can we unpack this a little bit? And you don't need to give away the secrets of the program, obviously, but I'd love to know what is your vision? You talk about the Gator way for the volleyball program. Can you talk a little bit more about how you define that? Like if you're talking to a recruit and you want to try and pick them up and sell them on the program, like what, what is the vision? And then the second part of the question would be, how do we, how do we build a vision if we don't already have one? Yeah, I'm not so sure that that, you know, I don't know who gave that quote or, but I think in terms of, of vision, I've tried to look big picture, not just for our program, but for the sport, meaning how do we evolve our sport? And that, I think there was a uh, time where I worked really hard trying to create television opportunities and uh, building attendance and building our camps and things like that. So, so that's where in terms of is it vision or just goals and looking to better, whether it's our win-loss, winning that national championship, getting more fans in the stands, I mean, that, that's all part of it. In terms of, of the Gator way, what, we, what I can explain, and this is, again, the advantage of being at one school for so long is that this is tried and true, that the culture is in place and the, that the players buy in early on. I don't have to do as much of the leading when, the play, when it's led by the players. And I think that's more powerful. Instead of a top-down, it is the, the culture of the program is set by the, the returning players. What are standards do they want in place? And they set that. Now, we work with them of understanding, hey, give some thought to this. How are you guys going to do open gym in the summer? What is going to be the, the culture? What is the, the standard for... When, when the coaches aren't there. We set the standard when, when we're there, when we're allowed to be in, in the gym with them. But there's a lot of time in the year based on unsimilarly rules that we are not. And what would that culture be? What's the culture in the in the locker room? We talk about team first. That Ours is a non-judgmental. I feel that's really important to me, that we do not judge others. I think that goes to the empathy piece, is understanding the individual. And that you may not like her behavior, but do not judge her based on the behavior. I've often thought that behavior is a symptom of, meaning bad behavior, bad choices, a symptom to something else, and try and understand where she's coming from. And once you do that, you can help lead her to a different path. And I think the Gator way is understanding that it is not about me, it's about us, uh, accepting your role Big pieces being other-oriented. We do, do this thing in camp about givers versus takers. And are you a giver or are you a taker? And we exaggerate the roles and the campers get a, a laugh out of it. And the coaches that during team camp get a whole lot of, like, I'll see them in the back of the arena nodding their heads. Like, yeah, that's exactly what I have. And we Again, the, the roles are all exaggerated. It's a lot of fun. But the message being is that... We have no control over our height or how long our arms are, big our hands are, all things that we look for in volleyball. But we do control our attitude and that are you giving to your team or are you taking? And that could be, that's done both non-verbally, 
definitely not verbally and verbally. And when you are a giver, you are other oriented. And those are the standards of which you set for our program. That's what my job is to help the players buy in. And once that's happening, I get to step back. And then I'm just trying to help them through the tough times when, they, when their game isn't where they want it to be and help give them the vision, the path, how we're going to get there and keep encouraging them. But the, the template on what works, I don't have to recreate it. Do we tweak it? Absolutely. Are we always trying to get better? For sure. But I'm not having to reinvent the wheel each year because I think the players want to know this is the base of which great teams come from and great players come from. Let's go forth with that and at the same time still giving them to create their own story. They are writing their own game, creating their own game. They're the artist that puts their own touch on it. But we are there. It's like we're the safety net along the way. I love that. And you provided so many great keys to building the type of culture that you've cultivated over the years. And now that you've also been able to maintain it as it's grown and continue to evolve. And if anyone that's listening to this podcast is trying to build their own culture in a a way that Mary has built hers, I think this is a really good part of the conversation to focus on and take away some of those key attributes that you talked about, about what a good culture looks like. All right, Mary. So I'm sure there's a lot of people, as I just mentioned, that have enjoyed this conversation and want to follow along with you, want to follow along with the program. Where can we find you on the big, wide internet? (laughs) Well, the the website is uh, fortigators.com, but uh, anybody who wants to follow me on social media, it's Gator Mary. And I'm just going to say that I was on Twitter long before many people, so I grabbed that Gator Mary. And I, prob- I probably don't tweet as much as, as some other folks, but we're on Instagram as well. What I do love, any opportunity I have to brag on our players, that's what I do. This morning, they had an early morning workout that coincided with Valentine's Day, and I couldn't wait to, to post on Instagram the Swole Mates picture um, <laughs> that they had this morning. Oh, I love it. And I follow you on Twitter. So I can say from a personal standpoint that you do have a great account and people should follow that. I'm gonna have to find the Instagram account so I can check out that picture and just keep up to date though here in the future. So I'll throw that information all in the show notes, easy reference for anybody listening to this episode. And Mary, before we let you go, the show is called Dynamic Leaders. And You are on this show, obviously, as a dynamic leader yourself, and you've showcased that in a great way today throughout the conversation. But I always like to give my guests an opportunity to shout out someone in their own life that has showcased great leadership qualities or really just been an influential figure in their life. Do you have somebody that you'd like to give a shout out to today? Yeah, that would be real easy. I was so fortunate that I played for a woman by the name of Carol Dewey at Purdue University who took a chance on a multi-sport athlete but not exactly a accomplished or refined volleyball player. So she took a chance, but as I was going through my playing career at Purdue and thinking I'd really like to coach college, she was such a great mentor and, and provided for me that that role model to understand that she 
from the very beginning of her coaching understood that the person was more important than the player. And that is something I learned from her and had like to think that has not wavered through all my, my years coaching. And I'm so very lucky that she is who I played for. Cause I think early on as coaches, when you're finding your way, you will tend to gravitate to what you know and who, who did you play for? And having played for highly successful, terrific coach who also was a very caring person is the best thing that ever happened to me. What a great way to end this conversation. I love that shout out specifically because it's to your point, it's really the foundation that's just catapulted you to this point. It's really cool to be able to reflect on that and look back. And I'm sure you get a big smile talking about her. So thank you. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much for that. And thank you so much, Mary, for joining the show today. It was great to learn from you and we're really pulling for you. I, I think it's not just me. I think people that listen to this episode will be pulling for you to end that question of who's going to be the first female coach to win a national <laughs> championship and certainly wish you all the best. And thank you again so much for your time. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Colin.